Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Today, I want to share uh, some spiritual laws and principles with you that have been part of my life longer than 37 years. In fact, since the day that I have been born again, which last month marks 44 years, I have been living by these principles that I'm going to be sharing with you today. This is something that's very real to me because I have proved these spiritual laws to be effective. I have seen them work in my own life and in the lives of those that I have walked with uh, over the period of many, many years. So what I want to talk to you today is share with you spiritual laws that govern our financial freedom. Spiritual laws that govern our financial freedom. And I chose this subject to minister to you today because there are many people out there and many within the house of God that are anxious, that are unsettled, because of the pandemic that is going around and the damage that it has caused on the economies of the world. There are many people out there that have lost their jobs, many businesses that have gone down, and many lives are in perplexion. They are perplexed and troubled concerning the days that we are currently experiencing. That is why I chose to minister on this subject today. So the principles that I will share with you, they are life-changing principles from the Word of God concerning financial matters which will enable us to reach a place where we can experience financial freedom and sufficiency. Now, as I have mentioned to you, these principles are not new to me. They're not foreign. They're part of my life. They're part of my walk with God. They have become part of my very nature. I have lived with these principles for the last 44 years, and they have literally transformed my way of thinking and my attitude which, of course, resulted in lifting all financial restrictions from my personal life, as well as the ministry that I am involved in. Now, the overall key to all kinds of prosperity, whether it's spiritual, emotional, financial, physical, social, is a renewed mind. This is the overall key 
of all kinds of prosperity is a renewed mind, or as the Apostle Paul calls it, a restored soul or a prosperous soul. In 3 John, verse 2, the Apostle John said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Notice what he said. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. The prosperity of the soul, which of course is our will, our mind, our emotions, is the very catalyst for living a life that is free from all manner of restrictions and all manner of limitations, not just financial, but spiritual as well. Financial restrictions and lack has never been or will ever be the will of God for his children. I have learned from the Word of God in studying the Word extensively that it is not the will of God for his children to live in poverty or lack. It has never been or ever will be the will of God. Yet many of us, even within the house of God, are bound by the spirit of poverty. Our thoughts are poor. Our vision is poor. Many times our words are poor and the fear of lack and the concern of not having enough continues to bombard our minds day and night. Now, this is the reason why I'm teaching on this subject today, because many of us are struggling in this area, especially in the day that we are living in with all the difficulties, the challenges, and the uncertainties that are presented to us as a result of COVID-19. The atmosphere, if you can, you can even sense it at times, it's all around us, is full of uncertainty and anxiety. Some of us may not even have a job next month or any means of income. But I believe what I'm going to teach you this morning will activate your faith to go to work and bring you out of this anxious and troubled state of mind. You know, even wealthy people suffer from the spirit of poverty because poverty is not just in the pocket or in the bank. Poverty is in the mind and in the attitude that we carry from day to day. Now, some of us may not even have an income, but you do have faith if you have been born of God. You may not have money, but you do have the word. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. According to the Lord Jesus himself, all we need is the living word of God. We don't need anything else. Jesus said to Martha, if you recall in Luke's gospel, chapter 10, and Martha was very anxious and very troubled that day. And he said to her, Martha, only one thing is needed, and that is 
the word of God. Just ponder that for a while. Just think about it. We don't need anything else. The word of God is more than enough to cover every single need that we may have in this present world. And the word was given to us not just to hear it, not just to read it, but primarily to put it into practice and apply it in our daily lives. James says, be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word, because the doer is the one who is blessed in his deed. Psalm 107 verse 20 says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Poverty is destructive. Not having enough is not a blessing, but a curse. One of the curses Jesus delivered us from, according to the scriptures, is the curse of poverty. I say that because Deuteronomy chapter 28 lists poverty and lack as part of the curse of the law. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, we need to put our eyes and our focus on the scriptures and what the word teaches. Not your circumstances, not how you feel, not what anybody else says, not what your checkbook says, but the word of God. The word says that if you are in Christ, you have been delivered from the curse of poverty and through Christ, you have been made rich. Rich means having an abundant supply to live and to do whatever God called you to do. The word rich means no lack. There is no one who is born of the Spirit of God and is classified or recognized in the eyes of God as a poor person. You may not be aware of it. You may not experience it yet. But the Bible says you have been made rich through Christ who bore your poverty on the cross. Just as much as he bore our sins, he also bore our poverty. One of the most important things that we need to realize before we proceed is that prosperity and wealth that is obtained by faith in God is governed by spiritual laws. I want to say that once again because it's very important. It doesn't just happen. Just because rich belongs to you or abundance belongs to you, it does not automatically happen in your life or you experience that. Prosperity and wealth that is obtained by faith in God is governed by spiritual laws. Once those laws are recognized, believed, and activated, and consistently applied in our lives, they begin to produce results over a period of time. 
Now, what I'm sharing with you is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Nothing works instantly in the kingdom of God. As you read in the book of, uh, of Mark, the Lord talks in one of his Proverbs, and he says, first the ear, first the corn, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. It is the progressive, uh, a progressive state that we enter into the blessing of the Lord. But we need to recognize these laws and we need to activate them by consistently applying these laws in our lives in order for them to produce. The first spiritual law which governs prosperity, both spiritual and financial, is recorded in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 a very well-known verse in the Bible. If you're a student of the word, you should know this off by heart. Matthew 6:33, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, the things that Jesus was referring to are material things, because in the previous verses, he talked about, don't worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. For your father knows that you have need of all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and do what is right in his sight. And all of these things that we need to live life on this physical earth will be added to us. Now, if you are seeking the interests of the kingdom of God first and foremost, Jesus assures you that you will always have more than enough to accomplish your God-given assignments. Now, the issue here is this. Who are we living for? Who are we living for or what are we living for? God and his kingdom or are we living for ourselves, doing our own thing, pursuing our own desires or our own kingdom, so to speak, or doing what is right in our own sight rather than doing what is right in God's sight? Prosperity, both spiritual and financial, begins by putting God first in everything. He is first. The issue, as I mentioned to you, is that who are we living for? If that is your attitude and you're living for God and you are serving the Lord where God placed you, in the sphere of influence that God has positioned you, in the spiritual family that God placed you in, if you are serving the Lord, the Bible says that you will always prosper in whatever you set your hands to. Psalm chapter 1 says, whatever you set your hands to will prosper. If you will give the word of God first place in your life and delight in doing the will of God. Now, the blessing of the Lord, according to the scripture, rests on those who serve God with a loyal heart and a willing mind. Paul shares something interesting with us 
when he was bragging about the generosity of the church in Macedonia, he had this to say about the Macedonian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, we read, For I bear witness, speaking about the churches in Macedonia, that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. That is the statement I want you to focus on. Paul says that the Macedonians, first they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. You see, giving ourselves to the Lord first means that we live for God and we live for the interests of the kingdom of God. Amen. Are you still with me? I'm living for God. Whether I'm a preacher, whether I am a school teacher, whether I am a businessman, whether I am a nurse, whether I am a doctor, whether I am a builder, wherever field that God placed you in, you serve the Lord. You serve those who are above you, those who are beneath you, those who are around you. You serve your family. You believe in God. Your actions, your decisions reflect the righteousness of God. That's what it means to live for God. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.15 is a very powerful verse. Paul says that Jesus died for all of us that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. There it is. If you have been born again, if you are a child of God, we recognize that the Lord Jesus died for us. But we live. Therefore, we should no longer live for our own selves and pursue our own dreams, our own desires, our own stubborn will, but we should live for him who died and who rose again for each and every one of us. Now, let me say this before we continue. We cannot live any way we want to and expect the Lord to prosper us. You cannot serve God on your own terms and expect the Lord's blessing to come upon your life or your family. It's just it's just not possible. Living for ourselves leads to poverty and shame. But living for God and his kingdom leads to blessing and prosperity. Finally, on this principle, Job summarizes the whole thing when he says in Job 36 verse 11, If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and the years in pleasure. Isn't that amazing? Here it is, right there. Job 36, verse 11. Read it in your own Bibles. If they obey and serve him, that is, if you obey the Lord and serve him, you will spend your days in prosperity 
and your years in pleasures. The second spiritual law I want to introduce you to is found in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. You can open your Bibles and go to that scripture reference, Genesis 8 verse 22. This is what the word says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. From the beginning of creation, God instituted the law of sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest for the benefit of mankind. <coughs> Excuse me. He said that this law shall remain in force as long as the earth remains. Well, the earth is still here. And this law still works. Galatians 6 says, Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And whatever we choose to sow in our lives, not just physical, but spiritual, we will receive. That is exactly the kind of harvest we will receive. It's a universal law. It works whether you believe it or not, just like the law of gravity. If you sow corn, you will receive corn. If you sow wheat, you will receive wheat. If you sow kindness, you will receive kindness. If you sow mercy, you will receive mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, if you sow money, guess what you will receive? You will receive money. The law of sowing and reaping works both in the natural as well as in the spiritual realm. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul refers to this law in teaching us about financial matters, saying that the way to do away with poverty and lack is to apply the principles of sowing and reaping. Listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. This blows the natural mind. This is the promise from God. If you sow, he says, and continue to live by this principle, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, not just sometimes, always have all sufficiency, not just some sufficiency, all sufficiency. In how many things? In all things, so that you may have an abundance for every good work, so that every good work within your sphere of influence, God can give you so much grace and blessing that you have enough to bless every good work. That is a promise from God. And God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. God's ultimate desire 
my brother, my sister, is to bring us to a place where grace abounds toward us in such a way that we always have all sufficiency in everything so that we can financially support every work we come across, support the ministry, support the poor, support the work of God, support the family members who need help. And the way to get there, God showed us. The way to get there to such a place of abundant grace is through the principle of sowing and reaping. Now, these laws that I'm mentioning to you work together. So I don't want to go into that now, but here are some verses to consider and ponder on. Proverbs 11:24 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. That's the new living translation. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy, lose everything. The generous soul will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Luke 6.38, Jesus himself speaking. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. 2 Corinthians 9, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's the second law, the law of sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest. The third spiritual law that I want to introduce you to is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. This is what it says. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Our giving needs to be accompanied with a cheerful attitude. Many of us have a problem with our attitude when it comes to giving. The Amplified Translation reads it this way. Let each one give as he made up his own mind and purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion, for God loves, he takes pleasure in, prizes above all other things, and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful and a joyous prompt to do it giver whose heart is in his giving. Please notice that because that's very important. The phrase, whose heart is in his giving. As I mentioned, one of the major adjustments we need to do in our giving is in our attitude. Most of us have an attitude problem in this area. If our giving is to produce any fruit, our attitude needs to change. Can you say amen to that? Our attitude needs to change. The ministry of giving is a ministry. Please understand this. 
In fact, the Bible lists the ministry of giving as one of the seven ministries within the church. It's just as important as the ministry of teaching, as the ministry of encouragement, as the ministry of mercy, as a ministry of leadership. It is just as important as the all other ministries. So the ministry of giving and sowing should be one of the most cheerful and joyous practices in our Christian walk. As far back as I can remember, I have always loved to give. In fact, giving is my primary love language. Not only that, but consider it a privilege. As a believer, I have lived by these principles as long as I can remember. When I came to Christ just before my 24th birthday, I was financially broke. Everything I touched turned to dust and ashes. The business I owned went bust. I, I, I was literally bankrupt. Through these principles I'm sharing with you, God began to restore me financially and bring me to a place where I'm able to sufficiently provide not only for my family, my ministry, as well as to help others who are in need. I'm not bragging. I'm giving glory to God because I didn't do it. He did it through his word. God shows us the way to get to a place where we have more than enough, but he leaves the decision to us whether we will follow it, practice it or not, and do things his way. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, in the kingdom of God, for anything to work and produce in our lives, we have to put our heart in it. Are you listening to me? We have to put our heart in it. Why? Because that's what gives it life and momentum. That is why I say that our attitude needs to change. Believers often give, but the heart is not in it. You know, it's easy to give money, but do you give your heart with it? Do you give faith with it? They sing songs to the Lord, but the heart is not in it. You know, Jesus said something about this, and he was speaking about the Pharisees. In Matthew 15, verse 8, he said, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Believers do the same today not just with the songs, but with our giving. We give out of obligation. We give out of duty. We give out of necessity. We give because sometimes we fear what the pastor is going to think of us or what is he going to say. But do we give out of faith and love for the Lord? Are you out there? That's why sometimes our giving is not working, because the heart is not in it. You see, the fact of the matter is this. We determine the kind of harvest and the measure of harvest we receive, and not God. 
God can only multiply or bless what we give to him out of love and faith. And let me say this. The destination of every seed is death. And the purpose of the seed is multiplication. For any kind of seed to release its potential and bring about a harvest, it has to die first. Unless it dies, it cannot produce. Jesus said in John 12, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit, much grain. You see, Jesus was speaking about his own death. And his death produced many sons into glory. But the principle is the same. The way you gain something in the kingdom is to lose it first rather than save it. Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life will preserve it. And the same principle applies to our finances. Before we gain, we have to lose. And before we reap, we have to sow. This is so simple. The farmer knows this very well. He knows that before he receives a harvest, he will have to sow some seed. He doesn't go out into his field and looks for a harvest if he hasn't sown anything. And yet so many believers expect to receive, pray that they may receive, but you know they haven't sown anything. That's foolish. That is really foolishness. Now, the kind of harvest we receive, as I've mentioned, is always determined by the kind of sowing we do. Paul says it is the heart that determines and regulates the seed we sow. The reason being is because the heart is the seat of faith and love. That's where faith and love resides, is in our hearts, in our spirits. The word of God says the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which was given unto us. The Holy Spirit was shed not in our minds, not in our body, but in our hearts. So the heart is the seat of faith and love. And the word also says with the heart man believes. Therefore, our giving will be in accordance to our faith. In conclusion, as I conclude the laws that govern financial freedom. Here are the three laws once again that govern financial prosperity and freedom. First, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which simply means we live for God, we pursue the interests of his kingdom. The second law is the law of sowing and reaping. We reap what we sow. So if we want an abundant harvest, we need to sow an abundant seed. Scripture says that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Finally, the third law, our giving needs to be done with faith and a cheerful attitude. In other words, our heart needs to be in our giving. A cheerful attitude is the attitude of faith. Listen, we give money to men 
or to ministries, but we also need to give faith to God or our giving will not produce any results. I'm going to end it here, but the, 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 the teaching hasn't, is not going to finish today. I will pick up next week and do the second part. Now, second part of my message next week will be concentrated on a question, answering a question. And this is the question that I have wrestled with many, many months until the Lord gave me an answer. This is the question that bothered me for a long time. And it is this. Why don't we all see the harvest of our giving? Why is it that the word works for some people in this area while for others is not working? Well, don't miss next week. We're going to answer this particular question. Why some receive the benefit of the giving while others never see any return on the giving. So you're going to be patient with me until next Sunday while we do the second part of this series. Father, we thank you for your precious word this afternoon. Thank you that you did send your word and healed us through your word and delivered us from our destructions. And poverty and lack, Lord, is destructive. It destroys lives. It is never the will of God, according to your word, Father, that we live in poverty and in lack, worrying and not having sufficient, not having enough to meet our needs. You are a rich Father. You are a bountiful God. And when you bless and you give, you give generously. And Father, we thank you for your blessing upon our lives in this area for divine provision, dear Lord. We thank you for the laws that you have given to us, the laws that govern financial freedom and prosperity. Help us to digest, to understand, and to receive revelation knowledge concerning these principles. But most of all, enable us through your grace that we may put them into practice and make it part of our daily lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and we thank you for it. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.